Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, church. My name is Mark. I serve as one of the pastors here, um, and it is wonderful to be with you this morning. Um, if you did not know, this is kind of an exciting week for the Arthur family because today kicks off um, their sabbatical that they're going to be taking. And so we can be praying for them, which we're about to be doing, but I'd encourage you this week, if you be praying for them, praying for Andrew, uh, what did I, I asked him, I said, okay, what's the first thing you're going to do? And he's like, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon-ish, I'm going off to the mountains and I'm kicking, I'm kickstarting my sabbatical uh, alone in a prayer retreat. And I was like, that is awesome. He also has a goal to finish the Fellowship of the Ring in two days. So you can pray for him for that. I don't know if it's going to happen, but we'll see. Um, and then this, this, uh, this morning is the 1st of May, and so this is also our time that we're going to be lifting up uh, giving, that we're going to focus our time and attention on giving. And so we'd ask you to, uh, to consider the ways that God is moving you towards that end. So let's, will you pray with me together? Let's pray for the Arthur family, and then let's also pray for giving. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you for what you have done through Jesus. You've changed our hearts and have you moved us close to you so that we know who you are through the work of your spirit. We pray for the Arthur family. God, would you bless them? Would you bless this time of rest? This time that they get to spend focusing on you, focusing on recalibrating, focus on recovery from the long 10 years of ministry work that they've done within our church in Seattle. Thank you for them. We pray that that time would be blessed, and we pray that you would also put them on our hearts regularly uh, throughout the week so that we could lift them up to you. And God, we also... Ask that you would move us towards a better understanding of how you're using us in this city, in this church, and in the world. God, as we want to focus each um, Sunday, first Sunday of the month on giving, God, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would help instruct us into the areas that each one of us can give, and the area that you may be putting us and asking us to step out in more faith. Because each time we do that, God, we are encouraged. We're encouraged by your grace and your provision that you give us. We also ask, God, that you bless this time as we study your word, as we dive into your scriptures to look at the conditions of the heart and to see the way that Jesus changes us. We love you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to Luke chapter 7? We're going to be putting our attention in verses 36, and we're going to take it all the way through the chapter to chapter 8, verse 3. That's Luke chapter 7, verse 36, is we're going to be kind of putting our attention into this morning. And while you're turning there, I'll tell you this little story about this um, psychologist, and hopefully it's not boring, because that that's a rough start. That sounded like, <laughs> let me talk about psychology. Rebecca Pippert, uh, she had this opportunity, she was a psychologist, she had this opportunity to audit this master's level class. It was a big auditorium full of psychology students, and she was sitting and listening to this professor talk, and he was describing 
this interaction and this treatment that he gave to this man who had a lot of hostility towards his mother. He had this deep hostility and this anger that this professor was describing. But in the end, to his, he was describing the successes of the treatment that he gave, that he helped this client kind of understand himself in new ways. And Pippert, she raised her hand and she said, she asked, how come in all of these efforts that the professor was sharing, how come he never addressed that this man, how come he never had this man um, forgive his mother? How come he never asked or how come he never helped him forgive her? The professor responded that forgiveness is a concept that scientific psychology does not speak into and just dismissed it. And then he began to say, don't force your values of forgiveness onto the patient. This kind of got everybody stirring. Everybody's like, what, what do you mean? What does that make sense? And he was trying to kind of ease the tension in the room. Then he says, guys, if you are looking for a changed heart, I think you are looking in the wrong department. And Pippert then raised her hand and she said, Professor, the truth is we are looking for a changed heart. I'd agree with Pippert in that, but I would take it a step further. Not only are we looking for a changed heart, we're also looking to understand the conditions of our heart. There can be some that we'll meet that will be fully content with the way that their heart is. Their heart is just fine according to them, but everyone wonders, what is the condition of my heart? And this morning, this passage speaks into the conditions of the heart and how forgiveness and love in Jesus both expose the conditions of our heart and then show us the way that Jesus changes us to make our hearts more like his. So first, I want to maybe set the scene for you in this, in this passage. We just, this last week, we had this interaction where Jesus is standing before this crowd and he's talking to them about John the Baptist. John the Baptist's disciples, they come up to him and they say, John the Baptist is in prison He's alone, and he wants to know, are you really him? Are you really the Messiah? And this causes a bit of an influx of conversation amongst the people. And Jesus then begins to share with everyone. He kind of demonstrates these two personalities, right? We had the contrarian, and then we also had the compliant, both need to be embraced by the Father and both need to come to Jesus in repentance so they can be embraced and find their true identity in Christ. And so we come to this scene where we have a Pharisee named Simon. And Simon, for whatever reason, invites Jesus to his house for dinner. We don't know exactly what the reason was of why, but we, all that we do know is that Simon's invitation was covered with animosity. When 
a normal guest would arrive into a house, the host would normally put his hand on the shoulder and kiss the guest's cheek for a kiss of peace. But Jesus didn't get either. He got the silent cold shoulder when he walked into the room. And then normally the guest's sandals would be taken from them and their feet would be washed. All the, you know, the dirt and the grime from walking around, all of that would be washed off so they could enter the house. They would be clean. They would have clean feet and they would recline with everybody else. But Jesus got no treatment. When Jesus took off his sandals, his feet were still dirty. His feet were still covered in dirt and grime from the beginning while the elite were all sitting there with clean feet. And then as soon as that person, a normal guest, would walk in, after their feet would be cleaned, after they would be greeted with the kiss, then they would be anointed on their head with olive oil. And that olive oil represented an anointing. And as that circle of people stood by, everyone with the oil on their head, Jesus got none. And he was there by himself. In a crowd and yet made to feel utterly alone. Meant to feel unwelcomed. Dirty feet, no oil, no kiss, no embrace. Isaiah 53 kind of points to this in Jesus' resurrection, but we see it here too, where it says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. This is Jesus in this moment, undignified and undervalued. And it's in the midst of this horrible scene of the elites reclining at the tables, of Jesus reclining with them with feet dirty, that we see a heart moved by love. So let me draw your attention to those first two verses, verses 36 through 38. It says, Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. So all of a sudden, the scene changes. We don't know the backstory of this woman. We just know that in that time, as all of the doors and everything was left open, she would have seen him. Moved by love to hear his story, to hear the story of forgiveness, she sees Jesus and she brings what she has. She brings her prized possession, which is perfume. And she sees that Jesus, his feet haven't been washed. Jesus, is, there's no oil that's been anointed on his head. So she takes matters into her own hands. Even though she's marked a sinner, she comes in this crowd of religious leaders to anoint Jesus. But I think notice the, I want to notice the, the, the 
order of events, because I think they're telling here. She sees Jesus. She knows him. She loves him. She moves towards him. And as she moves towards him, the excitement begins to stir within her. The emotions start to, get, it start to intensify. And she kneels down and she's next to him in person. And she kneels down to wash and anoint his feet. She's not given water for Jesus. That's important to know. She's not given a towel to help with. She's acted like she doesn't exist. She's just as undignified as Jesus is. But that doesn't stop her. She comes in and she begins washing and anointing Jesus' feet with her perfume. And she starts crying. Isn't that beautiful? She starts crying and getting kind of shocked over the crying because she wasn't maybe necessarily intending to cry. She's got to wipe the tears with something. Have you ever seen water drip on dirt, you know, and how it leaves those streaks? It's leaving streaks on Jesus' feet, and she needs to do something about it. She's not going to get offered a towel. So she undoes her hair to use it. And that's, that undoing of the hair was a very promiscuous thing. That was a very promiscuous act, which leaves everybody kind of in shock in this moment. But there she is, crying uncontrollably. Perfume is stinking up the place. Her nose is runny. Her hair is getting all stringy with the dirt and the tears and the perfume and the mud. And it's this scene and everyone's looking at it. But to her, this mess is beautiful. This is one who has come broken and is now accepted. This is, this is a, someone who's been marked a sinner who is loved. And it points us to messy praise is the mark of a changed heart. Messy praise is the mark of a changed heart. Our love for Jesus should intensify and frankly get messy when we draw near to him, when we sense and feel his presence. There's so much beauty and tears falling uncontrollably over a heart moved by the gospel. God communes with us when we're in that. With the runny noses, the messed up hair with the flowing tears. A conversation I had earlier this week with a couple reminded me of a time I first felt this genuine, honest heart change in, in a kind of a, a group setting. It was the first year that Amy and I were married and we were joining, we were in this church, and we were joining a, a, not this church, we were joining, we were in a church, and we were joining a small group, and it was our first time that we got there. And we got to the front door, and I remember we looked at each other, and we were just like, let's just not be weird. Like, let's not do anything weird. <laughs> and I don't think we meant to insult one another, but we were like, you know, don't mess us up. <laughs> you know? like, we were trying to you know, we wanted to put on a good, a good presentation. We wanted to be accepted. 
you know, so we thought that that would mean having it together. Let's not talk about the argument that we just had. Let's not talk about the frustrations or anything. Let's just go in. And, and then as soon as we came in, I remember everybody else was trying to be on their best behavior. So they're like, oh, hi, how are you? You know, and everyone has that, that facade, you know. But at the end of the evening, we're all sitting in a circle and we begin to pray. And as we begin to pray, the first couple of prayers were nice. But someone had the courage to start praying for their marriage. And they started praying. They got too honest. They started praying very honestly to God about their struggles with what they were going through. And the next one was moved by that prayer. And their prayer became more honest. And then another prayer. And then another. And then there was a full new round. No more of the the, the easy prayers. These were the heartfelt prayers. These were the ones that was real. And then all of a sudden, you started hearing the sniffles. And no one's looking up. Everyone's eyes are closed, but you're hearing the runny noses. You're hearing people begin to cry. And as soon as we all looked up, everyone was like, wow. Wow. And I don't remember every, every prayer in that moment, but I do remember leaving that, that house loving Jesus more. Because not only did I discover in that moment that messy, messy prayers, messy praise is beautiful, I also took away that it's even more beautiful when you're among friends. A heart moved by love is a heart moved when we begin to take off the barriers of what's holding us back in front of other people. But it's also a heart that's exposed to grace. So what was this, this woman's motivation coming in the first place? All we know is that she came to a house fully aware of her sin. She had built up a reputation. No one knew the extent of her failures more than she did. And now seeing Jesus and knowing Jesus, she sees that Jesus does too. But her sentence is not further condemnation, but forgiveness. Her sins were many, yes, but Jesus forgives the biggest sinners. Friends, she's exposed to grace, grace of God in Jesus. When someone comes to Jesus with a burden of sin, when someone comes to Jesus with past brokenness, he doesn't wince, he doesn't recoil. He doesn't say, oh, that is bad. The Bible tells us that his compassion intensifies. He is stirred. He's viscerally moved with compassion when he sees people in brokenness. And he does not move away from them or have them come near to him. He moves towards them. 
He moves towards them. There's nothing more tangible and real than the presence of God exposing a burdened heart to grace. There's nothing more real than that. To see a burden lifted, to visibly see a burden lifted because their hearts have been exposed to grace. But to some, sadly, it's repulsive. It's repulsive, and that's where we find Simon. Simon teaches us the truth that you can see the gospel at work, that you can see someone who was once broken, moved, and to have dignity for the very first time, to feel valued for the first time, and be utterly unmoved, to be unchanged. So what is the effect of that? How can that, how can that be? The Bible tells us many different reasons for that, but one that I want to focus on for Simon is that his heart grew cold. His heart grew cold because first, he was too comfortable spending his time being elevated, putting himself above the people of God that he forgot that he was a sinner too, that he also had problems. And once a heart grows numb from the needs of the lost, unless the spirit warms it up, that numbness is going to grow cold. How many things do we get numb to when we're in the city and we see brokenness all around us? It is so tempting and so easy to grow numb to the hurts of our city, to grow numb to to our friends who keep bringing difficulties and challenges to us. It can be tempting to elevate ourselves just because maybe in that situation we figured it out. Maybe in that situation, years ago, God helped us with that and lose sight that God helped us in the first place. A heart that grows numb to needs without the spirit warming it up will grow cold. I'm, years ago, Amy and I, we went into, uh, we were visiting her her grandparents in Oklahoma, and just living life with them while we visited with them. And on, they, they had their church that they'd been going to forever, and they had a Wednesday night Bible study that they brought us to. And they brought us to it, and we were with them, and we just got this like loving, warm embrace, you know, and there was, we were, you know, I'd say the younger folks of the group, not 60 plus, you know, we were a little younger than that. And we come in, and it was a very, like, everyone knew each other, and they had been coming to the same thing for decades. And so, like, people in the crowd were, like, correcting the people up on stage, like, saying, you're playing the wrong song, or that's not our verse that we're in. And there's, like, laughter, and there's, it's funny. People are forgetting things. It was hilarious. And then at the end, Everyone got up and stood in a circle, and we all held hands, and then we all prayed afterwards. And I was like, I love these people. They are so sweet. They are so nice. This is, this is amazing. I've never done this before in church. And then afterwards, they're like, let's all eat together. Let's all go down to the, to, let's go to the fellowship hall and eat. And everybody's kind of walking in there. And at that time, 
At that moment, a man came in through the doors. He came to the doors and he was rough looking. And he had that shiny, those shiny cheeks, the tears had just been falling. And he just asked, he said, can I have some food for my family that's in the car? We haven't been in our house for a long time. And I remember that warm, fuzzy feeling suddenly grew really tense and really cold, so much so that one of the ladies who gave us a hug in the beginning, she said, don't give him anything. Don't give him anything. We've seen this before. Don't give him anything. Man walked away. And that's when I learned that it is possible to love your community and be totally closed off to Jesus. You can love the things that you do and have a very cold heart when it comes to needs of the lost. Friends, we must not, must not let our hearts grow numb to those burdened, to those lost, to those who have needs, lest we elevate ourselves too high. Matthew 15, it speaks into this really well where he says, but what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a person. This defiles a person. So Simon is is seeing this. What does Jesus have to say to Simon? Here we move to the third condition of the heart, which is a heart corrected by truth. So Jesus says to him, he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. He says, well, say it, teacher. Verse 41, Jesus tells him a story. He says, a creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. And turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil. But she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, and that's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Jesus affirms her forgiveness that she's already experienced. And that's good news for all of us. No one who comes to Christ in repentance is too far gone 
for forgiveness. Past or present, there's more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, 15, he says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But then he adds something super important for us. And I am the worst of them. Okay, so what does that, what does that exactly mean when we want to take that and apply that truth to us? What it means is good news is accompanied with the reality of the human condition and our ongoing need for forgiveness. Christ really did die for sinners, for all sinners. And when I draw nearer to Jesus and become more like him, two good things happen as a result. First, I become more sensitive to my sin. The facade, the the veneer that's on my heart, that's darkened my heart, begins to fade. If you think about it like Paul would describe in Ephesians, light penetrates the darkness. And once the darkness darkness starts to fade, you begin to discover what was hiding there in the first place. So as I'm drawing near to Christ, as I'm going towards him, I begin to gain a sensitivity to my sin and a reality to the depths of it. And I find out that it actually, when I came in thinking it wasn't that bad, it's actually a lot worse. This isn't good. I become more sensitive to that. But this is the second thing that happens. When I become more sensitive to sin... I become more sensitive and more understanding to his grace. Forgiveness and grace in Jesus surpasses the depths of my sin. It covers me. So I'm not in a place of condemnation. I'm in a place of forgiveness and dignity. That's what Jesus does to us. When we come to him with forgiveness, when we come to him saying, Jesus, you're all that I have. I don't even understand everything that you've said. I'm still learning and I'm still growing. But will you take what I have? Just will you take everything that I have? Can I give it to you? And he says, yes. And his compassion intensifies. And I'm left not with the condemnations of my sin, but I'm left with grace and forgiveness abounding. It's good news. It's good news. I do love what what, what Paul says in Ephesians, though, when he says, you know, do this. Why? Because everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore, it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Friends, are you left here with a sensitivity of your sin, with a sensitivity of your brokenness, with a burden that you're carrying, 
that you think is too far gone for Jesus to be able to handle? Do you think that in bringing it up, Jesus would say, yeah, that's, that's really bad. Come to Jesus with your messy praise. Come to Jesus with your burdens and see the light shine on darkness. That's a heart corrected by truth, is one that draws us to Jesus, one that draws us closer. So when my heart is corrected by truth, it simultaneously exposes my sin and God's grace. And when that happens, it's easy to give up. It's easy to let go. It's easy to give everything to Jesus because then I realize, I see by the ministry of the Spirit that Jesus gave up everything for me. Jesus became undignified, undervalued on the cross so that we would always and forever have dignity and value and grow closer to him in grace. Which leads me to our last condition a lost heart condition of one that I'd like to, for us to consider kind of as our, as our takeaway, which is a heart stirred to give. For those who were sitting this and seeing this whole interaction at play at the table, Jesus began saying, or they began saying of Jesus, who is this man who even forgives sins? But he says to the woman, your faith is saved, you go in peace. And then... Something interesting happens. The scene changes. And it begins to highlight the other women that Jesus was with, who had the same heart change as the woman in our story. So let's read that. Chapters, this is chapter 8 now, verses 1 through 3. It said, Afterward, he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary called Magdalene. Seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod Steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. So this change of heart had happened on a people who were once ostracized, these women who were ostracized, who were undignified, who were undervalued, everything, are now with Jesus. They have a changed heart, and now they're walking with Jesus, and they're supporting all of these efforts, all of these ministry efforts at the same time. So what's happening? I think C.S. Lewis, he says it really well when he kind of talks about this type of change. He says, the old self, the old egotistic will, has been turned around, reconditioned, and made into a new thing. The will of Christ no longer limits theirs. It is theirs. All their time in belonging to him belongs also to them, for they are his. Friends, You really have been given a new heart. In Jesus, we can say with confidence, 
that I am his and he is mine. There hasn't just been a change in you. There has been a change of you. You really are a new person. You really do have new desires. You are a walking disciple. That is amazing. That is miraculous. And the burdens that we carry, we really can leave them at the cross because with that, we get to see grace abound all the more. Jesus' disciples, we who are walking with Jesus, are walking examples of a changed heart and of those who are knowing the conditions of our hearts. What better way to be salt and light in this world who is looking for answers? Who's looking for answers so deep that the most prestigious psychologists can't even speak into? Because they don't understand. But we do because of Jesus. Our actions do expose the conditions of our heart. So for those of us who call ourselves disciples, what should we do? Love much because we have been forgiven much. We can say with Paul, Christ died to forgive sinners, and I am the worst of them. And in that message, we can bring salt and light. We can bring the good news to the people who need it around us. You guys pray with me. Jesus, thank you for who you are, for the miraculous work that you have done in our lives. And God, we, we, bring, we bring everything to you. And it is messy. It is imperfect. It is filled with mixed motives. But Jesus, change us. Change our hearts. Remind us of the conditions of our hearts. Expose what is in us so that the light may reveal what is there. God, we love you and we trust you. We pray that we can be like this woman who came before Jesus with all that she had and was embraced and valued and given dignity in the process. And we pray, God, that that would be our mission, that as we receive and, and have a new change within us, that we would go and tell others about it, that we would use what we have to share your gospel and your good news. Pray this in Christ's precious name, amen. Friends, all of us are carrying burdens. All of us are carrying things. And so now this is a fitting time to come to the table. We're gonna let you take communion at your own pace. And if you are someone who calls yourself a disciple, if you call yourself a Jesus follower, you follow Jesus. Remember, Christ's body was given for you on the cross. And Jesus' blood was shed for you. 
So when we take our communion together, when you take it at your own pace, remember these things and bring, bring what you have to Jesus.